Hello you, welcome back to Actors Making It. So this week I was lucky enough to be invited to play a featured extra part in an upcoming TV series by writer Tommy Murphy uh, called Significant Others. It's due out in October and anyway the point of my story is I'm under the impression that the kind of extra or featured extra work is a bit of a no-no if you're trying to make it as an actor but I decided to throw myself in for the opportunity anyway and last night I got some feedback by the casting person that got me in that the producer was really impressed by my scene and that I was great and natural on camera so I'm pretty stoked to have got in front of some big wigs and um, on a Fremantle Media production as well as an ABC pr production. So that's pretty cool to get some good feedback. I hope you're having a good week and you are getting some successes yourself. Anyway, this week's guest, wow, such an amazing human, caring, successful, but no stranger to adversity and how fickle the industry can be. This week's guest is Dominic Burgess. He recently graced our screens in Dr. Death, which if you haven't watched it, get on it. It's very good. It's also got Joshua Jackson in it and a whole host of other amazing actors. Uh, Dominic was praised for his roles as Victor Bueno, 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 I'm not sure how to pronounce it, in uh, Feud with Jessica Lang and Susan Sarandon. And he's pretty much been killing it steadily since 2005. As a member of the LGBTQI plus community, Dominic has recently been nominated for a Queerty Award for Best TV Performance in his role in Dr. Death. And I don't really know what else to say other than I really hope you enjoy this episode. Dominic is just so great and so lovely, so that's enough from me. Here he is. Yay! Hello, Dominic. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super grateful for you taking the time. Uh, on your Friday evening? It's Friday evening. We are, what time are we? 5.21 on a Friday evening. Yes, I uh, stayed up a little later than I should have for my Friday evening <laughs> last night, knowing that I had two podcasts to record today. But it was, uh, it was a spur-of-the-moment, random, spontaneous opportunity. So I enjoyed the... Yeah, <laughs> normally, I mean, I'm not a big... Uh, normally in the before times my friday nights would be cinema night we have a cinema pretty close by and i'm an uh, an avid moviegoer um but uh, i'm working on a commercial tomorrow so for the last few days i've kept things very locked down because i don't want to be the guy that shuts down a production yeah no that's very fair are you guys are, are experiencing another increase oh, as far yeah. as the way so so many yeah. people in fact uh, a friend just texted me to let me know that a mutual friend of ours uh just tested positive so many people i know right now are, are sick yes um i the the, 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 I was say the funny thing that's not um it's not funny at all um the, the the hard thing now is trying to figure out out of everybody that I know on Instagram that doesn't have COVID first. Uh -huh. Because obviously Australia has kind of suppressed it for, for quite a while. So I think in, in the height of, of when everything first started, I was kind of keeping tabs on what was going on in England. And then I was keeping tabs of what was going on in Australia and what was happening in New Zealand and Europe. And, um, but now I mean, I'm seeing California's numbers skyrocket. I think uh, I just had I had an alert on my phone a little while ago. Uh, I think there were 45,000 
Uh, new cases. Was that just in LA? Hold on. I'll tell you. It might have just been in LA. LA County daily COVID-19 data. 43,712 new cases. Yeah, so yeah. It's, uh, it's running rampant. Yeah, I think, I think yesterday was our biggest number as well. But for our state, I think New South Wales reported 45,000 um, and Victoria recorded 50,000. But they've now only just started recording the rapid antigen uh-huh. tests. So we weren't recording that. We, we probably have about a 50%, um, 50% of people are not going for a PCR test when they get a positive Uh um, rapid antigen. So our number's probably a little bit higher. Anyway, um, I'm so bored. (laughs) So we can move move away from that. Um, So obviously we connected on Twitter a couple of weeks ago when I made, um, for me, the first kind of post that ever kind of got any sort of traction on, (laughs) on Twitter in my life. Um, which was which was really cool, which was um, obviously around people telling you you can't do something, but then continuing on. And mm-hmm. I think your response was uh, that you were told that an agent didn't know what to do with you, though you were talented and that you were too big, too gay, not gay enough, mm-hmm. um, etc. Et you had two separate is... incidents. Uh, the, the first one was an agent uh, in England who had, I went through drama school in England and um, they had seen my showcase and I had invited them to the show um, and they came to the show and I didn't hear anything. And then uh, they, they ended up representing a friend of mine and I was really struggling in England, getting auditions, really struggling uh, to the point where I started literally knocking on agent stores, I would walk down on Old Oxford Street and around Piccadilly and just with my my contacts book that we had in England at the time. And uh, I knocked on on that agent store and they remembered me and they said, come in. And they said, you know, yeah, we saw your showcase and we think you're very talented. We just we just don't see where you're going to fit in. We just don't know what you can do. Um, and I remember, oh, my gosh. You know, I think I've talked about this before on on other podcasts and with other people that when I hear that, that's sort of a a red flag to a bull that is like it charges me. And um, yeah, and I remember in the moment I wasn't heated. I don't get heated. I I hate confrontation. Um, But, you know, they said that and I was like, well, I know what I can do. I know, and and I think I was I was much younger then, and now I wouldn't phrase it this way. But you know, back then I think I was like I could be the policeman, and I could be the paramedic, I could be this, I could be that. And then they're like, well, yeah, we just we just don't see it, love. Um, How old were you at that time? Do you remember? I would have been what twenty two. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I went from drama. Uh, I went to drama school nineteen twenty twenty one. So this would have been the year after. And I had, um, I mean, comparatively, I, I, I thought, I don't know. I don't know what, I, I mean, I really hustled when I, I got out of drama school and I had had a, a tiny bit part on Batman Begins that ended up getting cut. And then I'd done a tiny part on, on Doctor Who, um, 
and these were both from from sort of hustling and pushing and and writing to casting directors myself um and i think i don't know i think the the mentality and i still have this mentality and i think it's wrong and i admonish myself <laughs> for thinking it you know you um i i think it's a, a dangerous place for for actors to to get into that maybe before you start training you think oh all I need to do is get into a drama school and then everything else is going to be plain sailing and then you graduate and then, oh, all I need is an agent. Once I get an agent, everything's going to be fine. And oh, I just need I just need one one role. I just need one line on a show and then everything is going to be, then things are going to get easier. And I, I feel like, you know, still to this day, I, I think it's a terrible mentality for actors to get into that, that we're always chasing that. Like, ah, once that one thing happens, then then the offers are going to start coming in, but they don't. I don't think that's necessarily just an acting thing. I think it's a very human um, thing to do um, in regards to... Not, I'm not suggesting at all that you're not doing this because you've just clearly said that you hustled and that's how you got your, your break. But I think, I think it's kind of human nature to put the onus on something else happening before we can achieve the success that we maybe that we believe that we want mm -hmm. to believe because by putting the onus on something else then we're taking the the ownership and accountability away from ourselves yeah to get maybe and I, I think that there, there was a, a paradigm shift i um i study at uh, uh an acting studio out here the bgb studio and um certainly they advocate shifting the perspective into creating work for yourself and for, um, you know, that's where I was first introduced to the artist way um, that, that we had chatted about and um, journaling and writing. And I, I had done sketch writing. I went through an improv school out here that had done a lot of sketch writing and, and then um bgb offered a, a writing class and it wasn't until i took that class with alexa that I, I got the tools to be like oh these are the ideas in my head and now now i've got the structure and now i've got the tools and now i can go and i can create my own work and um i did do that and i made a short and and that really was sort of taking the ownership and being like i'm gonna create my own work and then i'm gonna go and do this stuff um yeah, and that's been really revelatory. But still, if yeah, you can just get that one job, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Look, I trust me, I, I've just said that, but I'm very much similar to a point. Like at the moment, I'm living in a life of, okay, if I can just get to London, then everything is going to take off. Oh, no, no because I I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Go to London, explore no, London. I mean, I live in Australia and there isn't that. I, I, I'm sure Australian people, Australian casting directors or anyone that listens to this is going to be fed up of me saying this, but for me, I feel like there, there isn't as much work here yeah. to kind of get involved. In. I, um, I understand that, that, um, I think, you know, it, it's a very individual thing because I found that about London. I found London so hard. I found London so unbelievably hard. I had the most wonderful time at drama school. And I think it it sort of 
lulls you into a full sense of security because you're there for three years and you're there with your contemporaries and you're there, you know, you've got 30 people in your year and every term you, you do a show and you're guaranteed a role in one of these shows. And it, it, it is insular and it's a bubble. And then you, you get out into the big wide world. And I, um, and I've spoken about this before that in London, I was, I was, very lucky if I got an audition maybe once every three or four months and I found myself really putting so much pressure on those auditions and they were small or I mean you know great projects but um comparatively small auditions but because the auditions were coming along so sparingly I would be like, oh my God, I've got to get this audition. If I don't book this audition, then I'm not going to have anything else for four more months. And I, and, um, and then you strangle yourself in, in the audition room and those nerves come out to play and, and then it's just yeah. not a good audition. So talk to me then about how you kind of kept yourself motivated to be pushing and forging ahead in a career in the arts, given that what you were experiencing there was, you know, I'm not, you know, you weren't getting anywhere and it was, you were only getting auditions every, you know, three or four months. Yeah. I think, gosh, Danny, I think, uh, because I'm a, maybe I'm stubborn. Maybe I'm like to, to a detriment sort of doggedly determined that if I want something, I, I will go for it. And there really wasn't a, um, much to my parents' annoyance. There was, there was never a, there was never a backup. There was never a full okay. back. I, um, I had a day job at, at a, a Blu-ray and, and DVD store called HMV. Um, and I remember it well. Then on the weekends I would, I would work at a, a lettings agent and just let people into rental properties and be like, oh, I'm not on commission. If you like it, you'll like it. If you don't, okay, bye. Um, I, yeah, I had these jobs that I didn't, care about i mean i did my best at, at the jobs that i worked at um but i knew that i knew that for myself it would be dangerous territory for me to get a day job that i cared about and was passionate about and if i i harbor guilt very quickly and freely so if i was in a position of any kind of authority where like oh i've got the keys to lock up the store Oh no, I've got an audition. I can't go because I've got the keys and I've got to look at the store that I, I was, I was so scared of falling into that trap of, of being comfortable in a day job or yeah, just turning down auditions for, for something that I wasn't yeah. passionate about. I think. Did I answer that? Okay. Uh, not quite, but that's okay. <laughs> um, um, well, no, you, you kind of did obviously the, the fact that you were stubborn. I, I mean, I, from that, I take that. There was never a question that it wasn't what you were meant to do. Yeah. I just love it so much. You know, there's storytelling in general, whether it's writing or filmmaking or acting, it's just, it's just the world that yeah. I, I, I love being in. Um, and now from time to time I will teach and I'll, I'll teach improv and I'll teach some writing. Uh, and I enjoy that too. Um, but really knock on wood, um, uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate that that really is sort of 
coming from a position of giving back and sharing knowledge rather than uh, needing it to sustain myself. Um, and I think that makes me enjoy that process more as well, I guess. Amazing. So if we go back to, I guess, before you went to drama school, um, which you were, did you go to drama school straight, like out of college or? No. I uh, finished high school and then I took a gap year because I knew that I wanted to go to drama school and I just, I didn't have the funds to be able to afford to live in London. Um, so I started working uh, at a supermarket called Tesco. Uh, and yeah. this was like, I was on the first team in Stoke-on-Trent, uh, wh where I lived, the first team of people that would internet shop, that would take orders and I would go around the store with my cart and I would inter internet shop for people. And I would uh, start at five in the morning till 10 and then I would go back for the afternoon shift from like two until six um, to save money on my gap year. And then I uh, had never really traveled. So I, I came to America to do Camp America in Michigan. And then after I finished that, I flew to LA, drove back across to New York, uh, which is where September 11th uh, happened. And then I got stuck here for a little bit and then I flew back to England. And the, the day after I got back, I had to get on a train, get back down to London uh, and start drama school the next day. Um, right. Yeah. So what was it? It sounds like um, you knew from a young age that this is what you wanted to do. So what is it? What what kind of attracted you to wanting to become an actor? Um, yeah, I guess I, I kind of knew from maybe 15, 16 that it's what I wanted to do. I went to and I'm very um, speaking from a, a, a place of privilege. I, I went to uh, I went to a high school that was very academically driven, that was very much about results and tests and everyone. They churned out a lot of doctors and a lot of lawyers and a lot of people that went to Oxford and Cambridge. And um, that is not that's not me at all. Um, <laughs> I, I, I learned by doing and um, they had they never taught drama at school, but they did have a, a drama division where each year your your group would do a school play. Um, and the first year I wasn't really that invested. It was really more to get out of the sports side of stuff. But I was like, ah, yeah. I'm going to do that anymore. I'm going to go to uh, ooh, drama club. That's the way to get out of the sports stuff. Um, and the first year we did cabaret and I was just, uh, you know, ensemble in the back singing, oh, cabaret, oh, cabaret. Um, I was like, oh, that's fine. And then the next year, um, weird choice for a high school production to do um, was Death of a Salesman. And I auditioned and I got the role of Biff. And then that was, that was it. That was... Uh, Miss Sprout at the time directed that, Mrs. Godridge now. Um, and that was, hi, that was uh, revelatory for me because it was, it was finally something being, you know, four years into high school was like, oh, this is something that I enjoy and I'm good at. And I can, I, I would go and rehearse on my lunch times and after school and feel 
like I was contributing in some way or that I was feeding my soul in a way that I never got out of lessons or anything before. And I think from there it was, it was really like, oh, okay. Uh, and then we went on to do other productions that I loved, um, the Way of the World and the Birthday Party and Twelfth Night. And um, yeah, I really fell in love with it. Amazing. And when you decided you were going to go to drama school, you decided that, you know, acting was the profession that you wanted to um, make your life. What, what was your idea of, I guess, making it at that point in your life? Like, what was it you wanted to, what was your goal? What did you want to achieve? Go. You know, I... No, I think at that age, I think I just went in with such, and I still do it to this day. If there's something that I want to do and I don't really know, I, I sometimes go in blindly with so much naivety and, and optimism that it's like, hey, I wrote a, I wrote a feature film script. I need $5 million. Um, <laughs> that I just knew that I wanted to do it. And I, I think at that age, like 16, 17, 18, you just wanted to to do it, and I didn't have a really a, a concept of what making it would be. I mean, I I was raised on American television when I was growing up. The the shows that I would watch were were X Files and Buffy and Star Trek and Twin Peaks, and and I knew I think I knew then that ultimately my goal would be to to be in Los Angeles and to you know, oh my gosh, if I could be on one of those shows and a series and then, yeah, that, that I guess would be the goal. Um, I've never really watched a lot of British TV except for Casualty, um, which is like their Saturday night medical drama. Oh, yeah, no, I know. I lived in the UK for eight years. Oh, so okay, I'm then, you know, then you know this stuff. I'm very familiar with the UK. I, um, I yeah. still have the, the Brit Rocks Brit box subscription on my Amazon package so I can watch Casualty on a Saturday night. It's terrible. <laughs> See, I, I love British TV. Like, all of the miniseries, uh -huh. like, all of the crime miniseries that come out of the UK, I just, like, they are what I love. I, ha I think I have more of, um, now I enjoy them more than I did at the time when I was mm -hmm. growing up. I just didn't watch... I don't know why I just never fell into watching British TV. I would, I would get home from school, and my routine was was probably get home from school, and I would watch The Next Generation on Sky One, and then I would flip over, and I would watch Home and Away at six. Um, <laughs> home and, and Away, yeah, Neighbors and Home and Away were my. They were they were my soaps. I didn't watch EastEnders or Coronation Street. Like Australian soaps were my soaps, and American TV was my was my primetime drama. Amazing. So, do you think now? Then, um, how long have you been? You've pretty much been working now since like two thousand five, right? Yeah. Um, so, and I moved here in November of two thousand and seven. Okay, so you moved to the the US quite early on in your journey. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Okay. Um, Pretty much, as soon as I graduated from drama school, I I put the wheels in motion 
of looking into Los Angeles because this was the the dream. Um, so I graduated uh, would have been summer two thousand and four, and then I saved and saved and saved, and probably by April two thousand and five, I came across to LA and did like a two week intensive course where you know you meet casting directors and agents and and because it's an intensive course and because they're selling classes then you know oh my god you're perfect you should move here this is so great come take more classes um but it was beneficial you know you then you you look at it without the sheen of of that and the positives that i took away were that well shit i just met more casting directors in two weeks than i have done in six months of of being in london and they're accessible and oh okay they just gave me their email address and they told me to stay in touch and then you know it, it was just an an access thing and even when i moved here i i moved here november of 2007 and it was the the writer's strike was just starting then and the, the whole industry was was shut down nothing was being made and from an outsider perspective i i guess you would say like oh what a super time to to move to la and yeah probably was and again that that sort of bullheaded naivety i guess um and i guess a lot of people would have been saying like well i guess you should go back to england until the writer's strike is over but because casting directors had nothing to do they were all taking, they were all leading classes and running workshops and holding general meetings for people that they'd never met before. And so by that point, again, in three weeks of being in LA, I'd met more, more casting directors than I had done in three years of being in London. And it was just, it was, it was revelatory. And I, I met my manager pretty soon, maybe January or February of 2008. And she's a feisty South African lady and I adore her. And I've been with her the whole time that I've been in LA now. Um, you know, she took me on with two British credits and then has been with me the whole time. And things got moving. I, I started getting into audition rooms very quickly and pretty regularly here compared to England. Um, and, and so it, I, I know a lot of people move to LA or move to a different market and it takes them a long time to acclimatize. And I feel like I, I moved out here and I got a day job very quickly and I jumped into classes very quickly and I started auditioning very quickly and it, it really felt like home so fast. And I built a, a community of people from a day job and from acting classes very quickly that it, it was, uh, yeah, it just felt like home so fast. That's amazing. That's, yeah, that's really impressive to kind of considering the, I guess, what you were being told in the UK of not knowing what to do with you. Yeah, to being you know, I, 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 I've spoken about this before too, that, you know, I, it, it was, I was just very frustrated in London really really frustrated that i because i i even to this day i still seek out work myself and i push and i hustle and i write letters and i'm writing emails and and um 
trying to stay on top of of productions that are coming to fruition and you know i would try and do that in england and i would call my agents at the time you know even for something small like like i'll do anything on casual casualty anything on casualty like i'll be a stretcher in the background whatever it takes um but i would call my agents back then at the time and they they'd say things like oh yeah i know love it's just well, it's November and everyone's gearing up for Christmas, so there's just no one in the offices right now, love. I'm like, okay. And then I call in January and then they'd say, yeah, just um, think everyone's just excited for Valentine's Day, love. Just don't think anything's going on. And then they call again and like, yeah, it's the Easter holidays, love. Or it's half term, everyone's at home with their kids. And oh, now it's summer holidays, love, and there's nothing going on. And it was just this cycle of... yeah. You know, I'd call, not even, you know, I have, I feel like I have good boundaries. I'd call maybe once every two or three months to touch base, and I would always be made to feel like it's Dominic calling to see if there's any work. And I'd be like, right. oh, okay. Um, yeah. And You're I making just, me want to rethink my decision to move to London, back to the UK I, you know, again. It's, yeah. it's, Everyone is so different. I have friends that have moved to LA and very quickly within three months have thrown their hands up and said, whoop, this is not the city for me. Um, and then they've gone mm. to New York and been like, oh, this is this is my spot. And I have friends that have moved from uh, Los Angeles and gone to London and they've been there for seven years and they love it. And I have friends that tried New York and they hated it and gone to Vancouver and that's their market. And I, you know, I think it's such an individual thing. Los Angeles is very much my home. Um, and when yeah. I get on a plane now and I come back, I'm like, oh, home, um, which I never had about London. Yeah. And well, that's kind of how I feel about the UK. I mean, I moved there at such a young age when I was 18 and lived in Manchester for eight years. Uh -huh. Did um, you go to Walton Towers? And then I did go to Alton Towers a couple of times. Yeah. That was my summer job oh. while I was at drama school. I love Alton Towers. Yeah. Uh, was it the Oblivion? Is that the, the ride that yeah, you kind Oblivion of go down that hole? Yeah, Oblivion is the 90-degree drop, and we had Nemesis and the Corkscrew. and Good fun. Yeah. I, went there with, I, went, I remember going there with an ex-boyfriend once, and he just whinged the entire time when we were driving there because it took ages. Oh, yeah, it's in, the little, it's in the little village of Alton, uh, and I was uh, maybe like a 25-minute drive from there, and the first year at drama school – and I was working there, I was on the vending machine. So I filled up all the vending machines all summer, which was awful. Uh, and then the next year, um, I was a magic maker, uh, which was awesome. And I learned to juggle and spin poi and faint, uh, paint faces. And uh, that was a great job. All things that I'm sure were great for, um, for an actor. Yeah, I mean, uh... you say that, but tomorrow, I'm pulling out my juggling skills. Yeah, yeah. Like tomorrow I'm pulling out my juggling skills for the first time in my entire career. Uh, and that's thanks to Alton Towers. Thank you, Alton Towers. As you know, over the past few years, self-tapes have become the norm and they are being used by more and more industry professionals to cast all sorts of productions. I've personally recorded self-tapes for theater and TV and film 
and commercials. And it makes life easier for casting as they can see more options. But what isn't easy for us actors is finding someone to read for us in the moment that we need them. That's where We Audition comes in. We Audition is an online video chat community where you can call someone that has marked themselves available and they will read for you for your audition. You can use We Audition to rehearse, film, or just ask questions that may help your audition. Last year, I had an actor contact me who had never drank alcohol, who just wanted to know how to play drunk. Um, you can sign up to We Audition to be a reader yourself. I log into We Audition most days and I just leave it on and people call and I accept and I help them with their auditions. So you can earn a little extra cash doing that and you can just meet some great people. I even helped one of the main cast of Morning Moors tape an audition towards the end of last year. Look, it's a great platform and if you're gonna sign up to be a reader, it basically pays for itself. So if you wanna sign up to be a reader on We Audition, you can get 25% off using the Actors Making It discount code, Making It. So just go to www.weaudition.com and use the code making it when you sign up. But yeah, I felt very at home. Like I moved back because of the recession in 2008. Okay. Um, I've never felt at home in Australia. In fact, I consider myself British. Uh-huh. Um, and when I went back in 2019 for a holiday, I was in London for like half a day. Uh-huh. And I was just like, I feel that I at feel home. at home and that this is where I'm. Yeah, see, so, I, I've looking... worked in New York. I worked in New York last winter for six months, and I love it. But after two weeks, I'm I'm like, got it. It's it's just not my city, and I love it. But it's not it's not for me. It's not yeah. my pace. No, I get that. So I have a couple of questions then around the obviously the fact that you're part of the LGBTQI plus community. Um, I imagine you would have seen quite some shifts in the industry over the years. Well, I'm making an assumption hmm. that you would have seen some shifts. Did, did being, when you started in your career, were you an openly gay man from the very beginning from an acting perspective or uh, how did you approach that? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, um, I came out and then side story was outed uh, to family. That's a separate story. We'll get to that in the next podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I came out to friends in drama school. Um, and when I first graduated, I don't think I, and you know, social media wasn't a big thing then. Twitter didn't exist. Instagram didn't exist. Um, didn't exist. Yeah. And so <laughs> it just wasn't, wasn't something that I talked about, but if someone asked me, then I would be like, I am. Um, and then when I moved to Los Angeles, um, and I started working with Camilla and I think I was a little reticent about telling her in case it, it was going to have an impact on my career here. But she, like, she's so wonderful. She's like, I don't care. I don't care what you are. Just, you know, do your best in auditions and we'll keep going and we'll find things that work for you. And, um, yeah. And I think, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, because I'm more of a character actor, because I'm not a, you know, chiseled George buff good looking guy. I, I, I don't think it has such, uh, 
the same pressure that it might do that if you were in that leading man category, because I intrinsically don't audition for those romantic leads or those love interests or, or, I mean, I actually went back pretty recently and went through all, all the roles that I'd done and I've, I've never had an on-screen romantic relationship with a woman in 17 years of acting. Um, okay. Now, whether that's because in my audition tapes, someone is like, oh, let's look this guy up. Oh, he's gay. He can't do that. Um, I don't know. I think, I don't think that's true. Um, but I just think it's, you know, I'm 6'5", I'm 300 pounds, and I'm just not, I'm, I'm not the guy in films who, who chases the girl I get, and I don't know if I would sure. do that. No, I, I could appreciate that. I think, um, I'm just curious about whether or not your sexuality had any bearing on the type of decisions that you make that you may have made as an actor. Um, like for example, not to throw my own story in as such, but like, I was very conscious of like, or I, ha- I guess I had this preconceived idea that if you were considered gay, sorry, if you were new, no, openly gay in the industry, then it would be difficult to get any role, to get many roles that were not gay. But even then the gay roles went to the straight guys anyway. Um, so I, while I wasn't, while I've never been in the closet per se, mm-hmm. um, it's not, I, I guess I've, act, I think it, I let it affect the performance that I give thinking that I need to curb my mannerisms or curb who I am as a person physically within my, within the work that I'm doing mm-hmm. before I'm known. Um, so yeah, I was just wondering if, if you kind of experienced anything like that. Yes. But it wasn't until it's something, it's honestly something that I didn't give much thought to until 2015. And I took part in a, what was called a diversity showcase, which was, you know, supposed to be for actors of color, for actors in the gay community, um, in the disabled community. And and it was supposed to, my impression of it going in, again, naivety and should have done more research. um, My thought was that it was going to be this empowering process that was like hey look we can do anything uh and it really didn't end up being that and um there were a lot a a couple of years out of this uh there were a lot of articles in variety and deadline that were written about how horrible the process was and those people that are now are, are no longer involved in that process um because it was very detrimental i was told for the first time in in my career you know i've been acting what uh 11 years at that point um and it was the first time that i had gotten up on stage and had a director say whoa 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 you're a gay man so why are you playing it what what are you i i don't know what you are right now i don't know are you gay are you straight what are you what are you trying to play right now i was like well i'm just i'm just playing it as myself this is this is me this is who i am uh he's like it's confusing it's confusing i don't know what you are and then he had beef during that process i was told you know it was a terrible process 
uh, one of the female directors um, came in one day and she was like, everyone in this room needs to lose 20 pounds. You need to lose 40. Um, It was a very harsh, horrible process that they backed up by saying, this is the way the industry is. This is what the industry is like. We're preparing you for the industry. And they really weren't. They were preparing actors to play the butt of the jokes in a in a sick in a half hour sitcom that it's like gosh and i wish you know hindsight is everything but i wish i had the 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 moral fortitude and you know i was scared at the time i was going through a green card process and my first green card it got rejected and now I was in the, the second green card process and I had all this, this pressure that I was worried. It was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get kicked out of the country. Um, and going through this and I, you know, uh, sort of being led by fear of not, not speaking up and, and defending myself. But now I would not stand up for that. And now I've encountered similar situations where I feel more capable to say, well, uh, 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 nope, that's, that's not going to fly anymore. And now, again, speaking from a, a place of privilege, I'm able to get an audition or a script and say no to things, to say no to a script that came in in November that was, you know... He's big and he's schlubby and he's fat and he's lazy and he eats chips and and then in the audition sides it's like Jack hugs Tony in his big chubby way and I'm like guys no no it's a no yeah. um more more on the LGBTQ I side um of late especially since the rise of um self tape auditions what I have struggled more with is Auditioning for gay roles, which I'm very grateful for, but where the creative team is straight and you're trying to fit into the perception of what a straight person's idea of a gay character is. And so given those auditions and, you know, they, they frequently fall into tropes of, sassy barista or hairdresser or they're in fashion and you do those auditions and with with self-tapes right now on what i'm finding is you know you send things out and it's like sending bullets out into the dark and you you don't hear anything back the only things that i hear back on now are gay roles where production will get back and say hey we were looking for something a little bit more, um, a little bit more, uh, and they don't know, they, they won't, they skirt around the language and they won't say that they want a flamboyant character. They won't say that they want someone on this end of the spectrum or this end of the spectrum. And so then you play guessing games with your audition, trying to thread the mm-hmm. eye of the needle to find just how gay this person wants this character to be and two twice in the last 12 months have put auditions on tape and sent them back and back and back and after the fourth time i was like guys they've got a like going from one end of the spectrum 
to the other and then they're like now find somewhere in the middle of that and like just uh i don't know that frustration of i'm a gay man like i like like (laughs) this this is is, how how i act this is how i talk this is what i'm bringing to the role and i don't know sometimes i feel like straight creators because there might not be so many opportunities for for artists in our community for them to be exposed to the litany of the different kinds of people in our community that they either see gay characters as hyper feminine or hyper masculine and there's this whole array in the middle and i you know yeah i move fluidly along there sometimes between yeah i can change a battery in a car but i can also rock it out to celine dion like i don't know (laughs) i don't know what you want from me Um, i don't know i hear you i hear you um you started to talk about i guess a self-tape there about the one that you turned down with the the chubby Mm -hmm. guy and and ways and you I guess mentioned in your tweet uh, early last month, last year, um, that you've been, you know, you've been told that you're too big. Have you experienced a lot of, is discrimination the right word? Um, or. I mean, that was the, the showcase was the, the first time that I had ever experienced anyone ever addressing me directly, looking me in the eye to say like, everyone in this room needs to lose 20 pounds. You need to lose 40. Um, that's the first time that I've encountered that. Um, certainly not from my team, from my manager, from my agents. No, and I'm comfortable. I, I didn't used to be comfortable in my body. You know, I round my shoulders and I would make myself small and I would, um, and even, you know, I, I know that I've lost roles because I'm too tall comparatively to the rest of the family that's being cast. And I've lost roles because I'm too short for what they have in mind. And you walk in the audition room and like, you're like, Oh my gosh. Oh, like this is the kind of wrestler that they're going for. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm wholly comfortable with that. The, the one aspect that, um, I think I struggle with, and again, I'm better at it now than I was when I was younger. Um, because I'm a big guy, I would get anxious in wardrobe fittings and not all wardrobe, some, some wardrobe consultations on shows are wonderful and they will call beforehand and you give them their size, your sizes and you go in and they've pulled a whole rack of clothes for you. And they're like, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. And then other times, you know, you get the call. And they'll say like, hey, it's Shelly from Wardrobes, call to get your sizes. And I'll say, yeah, yeah, great. I'm Dominic, I'm six foot five, I'm 300 pounds. And you can hear the panic <laughs> down the phone line. You can, you can hear like, there's a silence. There's a, there's a moment of silence where you hear the wardrobe people go, oh fuck, I've got to go shopping. Um, and then, you know, you turn up and I've, I've, again, nine times out of 10, it's great. But on those occasions where it's the one, 
had instances where I've had wardrobe people be like, well, he's too big. He's too big for the clothes. Too big for the clothes. Can't do it. It's too big for the clothes. Or, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll do a production and you'll have a call and it's two very different things. Sometimes wardrobe will call and they'll say like, hey, if you have sneakers that are comfortable, bring those because we'll just have you in your own sneakers and then you can be comfortable. There's a difference between that and the calls that you get that are like, Okay, so there's no way that we can fit you. You're too big. So bring your own pair of jeans, bring some khakis, bring some shorts, bring uh, bring an array of like plaid shirts and jackets. And if you have a suit, bring a suit. If you have shoes, bring shoes. And then you're taking a suitcase with you to a, a wardrobe fitting because wardrobe doesn't want to fit someone of your size or they make you feel like you're the issue or I've also had the ones where things have been radically too small. I have a size 14 feet and then you turn up and they're like, the only thing we could find is 11. So see if we can make these work. Um, or, you know, you put things on and things are tight and your midriff is showing and you can't zip the fly and they're, and then they try and twist it and like, well, it's kind of funny, isn't it? It's kind of funny. Don't you think it's funny that your character might dress this way? That's kind of like, he's not aware that he's so big. And it's kind of funny because it's a funny show. Then it's, isn't this funny? And then it's like, no, I just want to be comfortable. <laughs> um, so from that aspect of things, now I'm, again, much better. There was an instance, 2021, where I had to fly out of the country for a show and I landed in said country and had a voicemail message on my phone. Um, I'll omit the name of the country so that you can't figure out what production it was. Um, uh, but I landed, had this voicemail on my phone, and they were like, Dominic, there are no clothes in this country that will fit you. So you're going to have to bring a suit uh, from Los Angeles. You're going to have to bring this. You're going to have to bring that. And like I called them back. I was like, guys, I'm in the country. I'm I'm in the country. I I don't know what to tell you. And then you're gonna be like, oh. well, now we're just gonna have we're gonna have to FedEx things. We're gonna have to FedEx things from LA. We're gonna have to FedEx things from LA. And it's like that's not that's not my responsibility or my problem. Like I can't. Please don't put that on me. Yeah, wow. That's my experience with my size. Oof. That would be. I I can only imagine how frustrating that would be. And it's again. You know, nine times out of ten, it's wonderful. Nine times out of ten, it's it's a complete delight. And if you're working on something, period, because, you know, more often than not, period clothes will not fit me. Then they're like, we made you a pirate costume. It's like, oh, my gosh, great. And it's tailored to fit. This is amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you've worked on some pretty amazing productions over, over the years, um, some that I'm obviously a big fan of, um, like The Good Place mm -hmm. and Death, etc. Um, did you, I guess, this was, I, I mean, I only dream of, you know, getting to a point where I'm working on, on these type of, these type of shows. Do you, do you just feel like, it, this is exactly where you were meant to be and you always believed that you were going to get to this point? Uh, I mean, the, the dream in, in my dreams. Yes. And I, you know, I know we, we just chatted about like what it looks like and 
I know I'm so lucky and I'm so fortunate and I still, again, to my detriment, still feel like I'm chasing something. Yeah. I still in my heart feel like, oh, I'm still may, maybe looking for, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't, I, I hope one day I feel satisfied. I feel like a terrible <laughs> human being that's like, I would love, I guess from my experience, most of my experience has been, you know, as a guest star actor, you jump from show to show to show to show to show, and you're always sort of the new kid in school every time you're you're on a production. Um, Doctor Death was a little bit different, but because it was filmed in the height of COVID, you know, the restrictions were such that we were kept in our rooms and then once lighting and blocking had been sorted out, we were sort of quietly ushered onto set. We would take off the masks, we would do the scene, we would put our masks on, and then we would go and sit in our rooms in, in solitude again. So that was a very insular experience on a show that was going for, you know, comparatively to everything else I'd done for so long. So I, I feel like I'm still kind of chasing a, a sort of familial feel of being on a show and being like, oh, this this is my home and this is the job that I'm doing for an extended period of time and I feel comfortable and I'm going to really get a chance to dig in and explore this character for a couple of years um, because I guess, you know, again, when you're going from show to show to show to show, sometimes I find myself like, yay, I booked, I booked an episode of the show. And you're on that show for eight days. But then your mind is already ticking about, well, what job is next? And then the auditions are still coming in for those next jobs. So you're doing, you know, 12, 13, 14 hours on set and then racing home to put yourself on tape for the job that you hope you get for the next week. And I guess in some ways I like, I like that and keeping busy. But in, in other ways, I would just love to find... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because I love the job and I enjoy the job. But sometimes I feel like my brain is ahead of where I am and in just wanting to be like, oh, yeah. I'm going to savor this job for, for a week um, because there's always, yeah. you know, you've got your mortgage to pay and you've got to do what's next. Yeah. Do you feel that, um, I guess, you're, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is it kind of an, a situation where you don't get an opportunity to enjoy or experience the moment or live in the moment of what you are in because you're worried, worried is the wrong word, because you're thinking about the next um, Sometimes, I guess, sometimes, and again, look, I, I know I'm speaking from a, a position of, um, of privilege and me of 10 years ago would look at me now and be like, oh my gosh, that's all I've ever wanted. Um, so maybe I'm the asshole. Um, well, I think this is really interesting because like, you know, from look, my, my um, personal position and experience as far as acting is concerned is I haven't got to the point yet where I'm going on big, where I'm on big shows uh -huh. and I'm working on independent productions and short and student films and, and, you know, theater festivals and stuff like that while maintaining a full-time job. Um, and, and part of the reasons why I kind of 
developed this podcast in the first place is for actors that are kind of chasing that dream to have a realistic view Mm -hmm. of what it is that they're potentially working towards. And that could be, I've been working for 20 years in the industry, but I'm still chasing, like there is always a next best thing. Yeah, I'm sure. Like I said earlier on, I I hope, I hope I one day I reach a place of, and maybe it comes with age. Maybe, you know, you reach 45 and it's like, oh, I don't care anymore. This is, this is what it is. Um, I don't know. I don't, you know, like I, I said, every time I book a job, I'm still so overjoyed that I've booked a job. I'm still, I still get that thrill of like, oh, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited that I get to work and I get to I get to go on set and I get to play. Um and I'm I'm very fortunate that I get to do so many fun things and I haven't been typecast and there's such an eclectic array of, of things that I get to do. Um Yeah. I I I that's interesting about typecasting. So you've um you've not been typecast over throughout your career, you don't think? No. I, I don't think so. It wasn't meant to sound like a loaded question. <laughs> I was like, like I, I've watched your stuff. I think you have. No, that's not what I meant. Um, but no, I don't think so. I think um, I've been very fortunate. I, I think again, it comes from you know my height and size and my look that um, I think character actors are maybe afforded more opportunities to to play with character and one week may get a chance to be he's the the seedy drug dealer and then next week he's the schlubby friend and then the next week he's like the dopey guy who got in a car accident or uh, you know i've i've yeah. played like lizard henchman and i played ram god goats and i've done australian and serbian and scottish and irish and um i've done a whole gambit of of accents and uh, I'm yeah, I'm very fortunate, but I, again, I think, and this might be a, a Hollywood thing, or I I don't know if it comes into play in Australia or or England so much. You know, I think when you're that chiseled jawed, handsome leading guy, or or beautiful leading woman, that the role t- like the you're sort of maybe pigeonholed a little bit more into the tropes of what is expected of you in those kind of roles. And I, I, I feel like I haven't fallen into anything like that. Okay. Is there, was becoming a character actor, a conscious choice or just the circumstance that you found yourself in? I think, uh, (laughs) I think it is just, it is just what it is. It's like, I can't let, yeah, I can, my, my weight will fluctuate 30 pounds up or, or down. And, um, but I, th- even going through drama school, here's, oh yeah, let's talk about this. Um, like, <laughs> you know, you, you go to drama school and you, you might have these concepts of like, oh, I want to do those kind of roles in drama school i never once in three years and like 12 productions never once played my own age because i was six five because i was bigger than everyone else 
Then I was always the father. I was Uncle Chibutikin and Three Sisters or your Malvolio in Twelfth Night, which I love. I love Malvolio. I will not speak ill of Malvolio. But, but you know, like, I, compared to other people in drama school, maybe each term I would be like, okay, I've got to play a 78-year-old man, so I've got to find a physicality and a, a vocal, and I've got to change, like, where I'm leading from, and does this guy lead from his hips or his head, or what's going on physically? And I, I think, you know, at the time... You know, I might have hated, not hated, I love drama school. I didn't hate it. What am I trying to say? Frustrated, I wasn't even frustrated. Like, I was just aware that I, it wasn't until I graduated and I went on my first couple of auditions where I was like, oh, I've got to play 22. And I feel like I was, I didn't know how to play my own age because I'd never done it through whether it's yeah. through high school productions or drama school productions i never just played myself and so much tv acting is like oh no you just are what you are what you are and i've never been what i was before so it was kind of a system shock to be like yeah you're just playing a 22 year old and you're just a regular person like how does he walk? <laughs> like, what's his ticks? Or what's like? Um, so I feel like that was an adjustment. But yeah, I always, I think I always knew that I was a character guy, that I was going to be, you know, more like Robbie Coltrane and Brendan Gleeson and Alfred Molina and like skewer that way, as opposed to, you know, the guy who saves the day. Yeah, sure. I guess. Well, it's uh, it's obviously working for you. I'll so. take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, I'm just conscious of, of your time. Oh, don't be. Uh, uh, I'm filming tomorrow, but uh, my Friday night I cleared out because I was like, uh, I think my call time's pretty late, too, comparatively. Oh, wow. Have you got a, um, I guess, a favorite product performance or production over your years? No, I I find value in in a lot of what I do, I always try and find enjoyment in what I do. I mean, there have been productions that I've worked on. I mean, Star Trek is was always a career goal. Like if you told 12 year old me that I was gonna work with Patrick Stewart on Star Trek, I would have uh, spontaneously combusted. And that was, you know, a whole round joyous experience. Um, the Magicians was so fun. Good Place is so fun. Um, I'm, I'm really lucky and I'm getting, again, I think so much of this stuff comes with age. I'm getting better as I get older about, um, I used to be a little timid when I would get to set, like I said, you know, jumping from show to show to show, sort of feeling out the environment and figuring out if it's a set that you can talk on or if it's a set that you can improvise on or that you can talk to the other actors and um i'm much better now at just turning up to work and be like this is me and this is this is what you hired and this is what you get and if yeah. oh boy if you wanted if you wanted bad attitude you got the wrong guy and now like i'll work <laughs> on sets and if you know if, if hair and makeup has an attitude or if someone has an attitude um i'll become you know, attunely aware of it and I'll try and win them over and like really try and 
you know, turn their day around with kindness a little bit. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I used to, I would take that home with me beforehand. They'd be like, oh no, they didn't like me on that set. Everyone was so mean. And now I'm just like, yeah. You know what? But the real- reality is, I've probably been working twenty-hour days exactly. for yeah. a week, and they're you know, absolutely tired. Um, and I go to bed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, now I just go and I enjoy. I enjoy what I'm doing, and if they don't, then that's on them. It's not on me. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, is there? I'll ask one final question. Yeah, is there? If there was any advice that you would give to any young actors that you know might might consider themselves might be might be listening to these people saying you're too big you're too gay you're not gay enough i don't know what to do with you what would your advice be to those people that might be listening to those naysayers i hate it and you know i've experienced it and it, it it's so easy to sit outside of that situation and say like forget those people but really forget those people you'll you'll find your tribe of you'll find your tribe of people as you go along in the industry and you'll find like-minded people who you want to work with and you'll find agents and managers who that is the last thing on their mind that that they Yes, it's a business, and and I think LA might be more business, you know, minded than than other cities. But um, you you bring such a unique perspective to to every role that that you have. It's something that a casting director did tell me recently that I never thought about when I first moved to LA um, was. When you when you are a particular size or you have a distinct voice or style or mannerisms that you you might not fit, you know, the key to the lock of every role. Like I know that when I, I started out and I was going up for, for little co-star roles that I, I had trouble booking co-star roles, which are like little small, like the waiter who brings out the water and stuff. Because at six foot five and three hundred pounds, in those kind of roles, you suddenly become a distraction to what the scene is. That then you know the scene might be about like some guy proposing to his girlfriend, and then all of a sudden it's like me being like, "Hello, would you like some water?" Um, that then you just like pull focus in the scene, and they need someone that that fits this criteria that is like an everyman that that you know everyone fits somewhere everyone fits somewhere yeah. whether it's an agency or a role or or something and i would advocate writing your own work and and creating for yourself which i've i've found enjoyment in and again it, it becomes it becomes so easy to to sort of sit removed from that now where where i feel like i'm in a comfortable position to say no to things and to call that stuff out more um but yeah just keep going i know it sucks and those people suck and i think the industry is changing bit by bit bit by bit um and i hope it continues to change and becomes more diverse and welcoming of 
you know, minority communities, whether it's people of color or LGBTQIA and body size, everything. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Did I answer that right? Amazing. I don't know. There is no right yeah, or there's wrong no right answer. Again, that's something that, again, for everyone, there's no right or wrong. And I tell people this all the time. You could put, you could put 30 actors in the same room who are the same type and put them in front of all the same industry people and everyone is going to have a radically different career. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Dominic, thank you so much for spending some time with me. I really, really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. It's been wonderful chatting with you and good luck for 2022. Yeah, what could go wrong? <laughs> well, we could relive 2020 no, and 2021. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and good luck on your uh, commercial Thank tomorrow. Thank you. Got to juggle. See you later. Bye. How good was that? Honestly, Dominic is such a legend and he's just so beautiful. If you want to vote for him in the Queerties, you can go to www.queerty.com forward slash Queerties 2022, which is also linked in the show notes. As always, if you did enjoy this episode and feel inclined to do so, I'd love it if you could rate me and review and share so that we can get in front of as many actors as possible who are trying to make it. Next week's guest is another guy up for a Queerty Award. He's a digital content creator called Michael Henry. As an actor, he wasn't getting in the room all that much, let alone booking. So he decided to create his own YouTube channel, which has 170,000 subscribers. And now he can live off the monetization of this and just create to his heart's content. So make sure you tune in next week for some inspiration if you feel like you're not getting where you want to be on your journey to making it.